Would you guys help me express your appreciation for the worship team and the tech team for leading us? Thank you guys so much. So much goes on in that booth right here in the back and then in the booth behind that. And uh, we're so grateful for the women and men who serve there week after week. Thank you for all you are and for all that you do. Yeah, yeah clap again. That's awesome. Pastor Derek asked me right before I came up uh, if I would just um, inform you just to bring closure to our business meeting from before that we did receive a second from one of our uh, members online. Barbara Cummings seconded the motion for our two new board member nominees. And as of just a couple of minutes ago, we had received no nay votes. Uh, and so uh, those two nominees have passed here in the first service by your unanimous approval. So thank you for participating in the life of our church in that important way. Here now a reading from God's word. This is from Luke chapter two. We'll be reading verses one through seven. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and Mary gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Would you join me in prayer, please? Holy Spirit, when Jesus was on the earth, he told us that Father God was going to send an advocate, and he was referring to you, the Spirit of truth who would lead us into all truth. God, I'm nothing. My voice is nothing. But your word is everything. And in these few moments, I surrender to you. And I pray, Father, that you would speak through your word and help me to draw out the truth. God, would you open our hearts and our minds to hear from you and to receive from you this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. I want to read these seven verses for you again, but this time I'm going to read just a little slower. And what I want to invite you to do is to allow yourself to, to be immersed in this event. Let yourself feel what they felt. Experience the sounds, the sights, the smells. Let yourself experience their emotions. Let yourself feel their concern, feel their anxiety, feel Mary's pain and then feel that exhausted relief when their son was finally born. So let yourself sink into these verses this morning. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. I think about how 2020 was a census year for us here in the United States. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And so everyone went to his hometown to register. 
So Joseph, he also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee down to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him up in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know what I love about these details that the biblical writers include in their accounts, these specific names and people and locations and uh, time periods that they seem to go out of their way to explicitly name in their accounts from the scripture. I love that because these details firmly root these events that we read about in historical reality. These were real people. They lived in real places at specific times, and those facts are actually historically verifiable. It's awesome. I, I always cringe just a little bit whenever we refer to the events that happen in the Bible as stories, and I do it too. I always say in this story or in that story, or we read this story in the Bible, and whenever we call them stories, it kind of, to me, it makes them sound like they're fictional or legendary or something, but the events that happened inside this book are not legend. They're not just tradition. They really, really happened. And so here in Luke chapter 2, a very real couple journeyed about 90 miles by foot, and they did so during the final month of the woman's pregnancy. Pregnancy. Now imagine that, ladies. Imagine you are 38 weeks pregnant, and you and your fiancé receive news that the emperor of the land has uh, given this edict that everyone needs to return to their hometown so that they can be registered for the census, which is a nice way of come and pay your taxes in person. So, but in this time period, there were no cars, there were no trains, there were no teleportation devices of any kind, there were no hotels, there were no Airbnbs along the way, there were no cracker barrels to stop at, no waffle houses, no convenience stores, just you, just your fiance, and just your very nearly full-term baby. How long would it take you to walk 90 miles in those circumstances? I'm thinking back to myself and Diana when she was pregnant with Eli. I have no idea how long it would have taken us to walk to Atlanta from here. <laughs> um, for those of you who are joining us online, some of you are different around the country and around the world. Um, we're sitting right now in the heart of Columbus, Georgia, in, in west central Georgia, and uh, we're about 90 miles south of the Atlanta airport, so that's my point of reference. How long would it have taken us, Diana, to walk to the Atlanta airport from our house when you were 38 weeks pregnant? I have no idea. Most experts conclude that it probably took Joseph and Mary between seven and 10 days to make that journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, and it was not an easy journey. And by the time they arrive, Mary is like having contractions. I mean, she is actively going into labor as they come into town. Her water breaks, they're in an unfamiliar town that is filled with travelers from all over Israel who have all themselves returned from, to their ancestral homelands to obey the emperor's decree and to pay their taxes. So just to give you a, a point of reference, um, I don't know if the slide will come up, but 
the home stadium of the Nebraska Cornhuskers football team. There it is. It's called Memorial Stadium, and it's in Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, of course, this is pre-COVID, but pre-COVID, during home games of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, the stadium itself becomes the third largest city in Nebraska by population. So that's what Bethlehem would have been like during this census. Uh, imagine Auburn or Athens or Tuscaloosa during a big home game. There were no available spaces anywhere, nothing. There wasn't a house, there wasn't a room, there wasn't a bed to be found in Bethlehem when Joseph and Mary show up on the scene. Now, the Bible doesn't identify for us a specific innkeeper person. It just says there was no room for Joseph and Mary in the inn. But of course, someone had to be there to give them that news. Someone had to be there keeping the inn. Someone had to be there looking after the accommodations with all the people there. And I wonder, what have you ever thought about this mysterious innkeeper person whenever you've heard the traditional retelling of the Christmas event? I grew up kind of mythologizing this cold-hearted businessman who would shut his door on this exhausted couple with a woman in labor. But as the years have gone by, I've begun to think about this innkeeper person a little differently than maybe our traditions have told us. I think of him seeing this couple. In my mind, it's always nighttime. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but I see him seeing this couple, seeing their distress, seeing her pain, looking back over his shoulder at his, you know, stretched to the, to the ends, you know, accommodations, and him saying to himself, I have to find a place for these people. I have to find a place for them. And so he racks his brain and he realizes that he does have a warm space. It's unconventional, but it's out of the elements. Um, he can provide it. And so he leads them to the best place he has available. And it is a barn. It's a stable for the animals in Bethlehem. And now as 21st century Americans, we think, ew, that's gross. That's where the animals are. This first time mother has to deliver her baby to the same place where the animals eat and sleep and go to the bathroom. But this place had a roof. It probably had at least three walls so it could break up some of the wind if it was a cold night. And it had hay, which is softer than cobblestone if you're a mother going into labor. I have to find a place for this. Can you say that with me? I have to find a place for this. We've been focusing on prayer here at Christ Community over the past several months, and this month in particular, we're thinking about prayer specifically through the lens of Christmas, the advent of the Savior to the world. And what I see in this portion of the Christmas event is that prayer is disruptive. Prayer is disruptive. I found this definition of disrupt. It's on the screen there. And it says, to interrupt an activity, event, or process by causing a disturbance or a problem. Prayer is disruptive. Like how the advent of the Savior into this world was disruptive. Jesus' birth was a massive disruption to the engagement of this young couple from Nazareth, Joseph and Mary. Jesus' birth was a massive disruption in this tiny village of Bethlehem that, that was swarming with travelers from all over the land trying to come in to take part in the census and pay their taxes. The birth of Jesus was a massive disruption to the Roman Empire itself at the time. 
It was the disruption to the expectations of the people of Israel who had a certain way of thinking about how their Messiah King was going to enter the world. And of course, Jesus' birth was the defining disruption to the sin-cursed course of human history. And for a moment in time, the eyes of all of heaven and the eyes of all the earth are centered on a newborn baby lying in a manger in a lowly stable in the humble shepherd village of Bethlehem in Judea. Prayer disrupts. Prayer is disruptive. Prayer is how we bring Jesus into our world. In a way, prayer is Advent. It is an arrival of the Spirit of Christ into the moment in which that prayer is taking place. Whenever someone tells me they're struggling with a, a bad habit or an addiction or a consistent temptation, I always just tell them to pray. Whenever I'm facing temptation myself, I invite Jesus into that moment of temptation with me. I say, join me here, Lord Jesus. I need you now as always. Be with me, Lord, in this moment of temptation. It's a disruption. It disrupts the momentum of the tempting moment to bring Jesus into it through prayer. Whenever we feel lost or confused, whenever we feel anxious or afraid, we can, we can disrupt those feelings with prayer. We can bring Jesus into our feelings through prayer. Whenever we're angry or frustrated at work or with a coworker, whenever our communication with someone in our home is just not working, when there's ever any fighting or arguing in any relationship, we can disrupt that fall of dominoes by bringing Jesus into the moment through prayer. When we're discouraged, when we're doubting ourselves, whenever you're thinking, I can't do it, or I'm not good enough, invite Jesus in. Invite Jesus into that moment with you through prayer. We can let, we can allow, we can actually cause prayer to disrupt our moments, our days, and our lives. Imagine the innkeeper again. He's having his busiest night in 10 years. He's already double booked most of his rooms. He's already over accommodated more than what his inn can hold. And here comes this desperate couple the young woman is going into labor, and I imagine him saying to himself, I have to find a place for this. And that has to be our same mindset with prayer. I have to find a place for this. I have to find a way to disrupt my life by bringing Jesus into my life through prayer. If we're honest with ourselves, when is prayer ever convenient? Honestly, I mean, sometimes we look at the super spiritual people in our lives and we think, oh, it's easy for them to pray, but it's not. <laughs> prayer is always a disruption. Prayer is always a voluntary act of disruption in our lives. It's an inconvenience that we have to choose to have. We have to decide that we are going to interrupt our days and interrupt our lives with prayer. It's like how I've imagined this innkeeper in Bethlehem thinking to himself, I have to find a place for this. As we've been teaching on prayer over the past several months, we've, we've recommended a variety of, of resources for you, and many of those are rooted in the ancient traditions of, of our faith. 
These are methods of praying that Christians have, have practiced for centuries. And one of them is known as the daily office. The daily office is simply a, about a 10 to 15 minute devotional that you can do in the morning or afternoon and evening. And Christians have practiced some form of daily office for centuries. Daniel in the Old Testament, he stopped whatever he was doing three times a day, every single day, no matter where he was, no matter what was going on, in order to pray. Zechariah was at the temple in the time of prayer, it says in Luke 1. Peter and John were in the temple at the time of prayer, it says in Acts chapter 3. I have, uh, where did my phone go? I have, I have two daily alarms set on my phone. Uh, one, is, one of them is about to go off, actually. Um, on my phone, one's at 10.02, and the other one's at 3.07. I took screenshots of them for you. Um, this one will go off here in just a minute. And, and when these alarms buzz in my pocket, uh, they just remind me to pray. So at 10.02, I pray the words of Luke 10.2, that God will send more and more workers into his harvest fields, and that the Great Commission will be brought closer to completion in our day. And then at 3.07... My alarm buzzes again, and it reminds me to pray for a ministry that I'm a part of, Teen Advisors, and their reach to middle school and high school students all throughout our community. And each of these prayers takes 15 to 30 seconds, honestly. Um, that's it. But it's an intentional disruption in my day that I have chosen every single day to remember these things in prayer. If you say this phrase with me, I have to find a place for this. I have to find a place for this. So there goes my 1002 alarm. So I'm just going to pray right now, if you'll join me. Jesus, you told us in Luke 10 to pray to the Lord of the harvest, that you would send workers into your harvest fields. And so, Lord, we pause now and pray that prayer with you, that Christians have prayed for 2,000 years. God, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Father, I pray that you would send more and more and more workers into your harvest fields, God. We want to see the Great Commission accomplished in our day and in our part of the world. And so we pray that you would do it, and we offer ourselves to you to be the ones you use to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the funny thing is, I snooze that alarm more than I turn it off. And so then at 10.11, it goes off again. And then at 10.20, it goes off again. And I'm like, stop, I'll come back tomorrow. Okay. Did you know that you can bring Jesus into any conversation you are having with any person through prayer? Whenever someone shares a need with you, a concern with you, a hardship they're facing, you can say, would you mind if I prayed for you about that? Whenever someone tells you about a tough situation they're facing, you can say, I'm so sorry. That sounds hard. May I pray for you? One of the greatest gifts you can give to another person is just to empathize with what they're experiencing, say, gosh, that's terrible. And then just offer to pray with them. I don't know what to do, but can I pray with you about that? Prayer is an act of disruption. Prayer is how we bring Jesus into our world. It's how we bring Jesus into our circumstances, into our homes, into our schools, into our workplaces. It's how we bring Jesus into our neighborhoods, our apartment complexes, our dormitories. Prayer is how we bring Jesus into our temptations, into our frustrations, into our moments of pain. 
into our moments of apathy, anxiety, disappointment. We can choose, we can opt to disrupt our days to bring Jesus into our situations through prayer. The truth is we, we find room, we make space for the things that are most important to us. And so like the innkeeper in Bethlehem, we have to say, I have to find space for this. Throughout the month of December, we've been adding uh, prayer requests and ornaments onto our tree here that you have been providing. Um, we want to, you to have that opportunity to do that again today. Uh, we don't have any in the front that I see, but in the tables in the back, we've got some blue pieces of paper and some pens. If you want to add a prayer request to our tree, you can do so. Uh, for our congregation online, you can add a prayer request to our chat room, and our online pastor will make sure that it gets added to our tree after the services today. We will ask you to keep yourself anonymous, um, because after Christmas, we're going to pull all these ornaments down, and we're going to ask everyone to take an ornament home with them and pray for that person in 2021. Um, so don't write stuff that's too revealing um, or too obvious about yourself, but add your prayer request. We'll add them to the tree after our services today, and then our congregation will take them home and pray for them in the new year. We're going to conclude our service today by offering a prayer of disruption to God together. This is a prayer that comes from the book, Every Moment Holy by Douglas McKelvey. Uh, the words will be there for you on the screens. I'll read the, the top portion in plain text, and then if we could all pray uh, the bold text together below. So would you join me in praying this prayer of disruption? Make sure I'm in the right place. Okay, let us pray. As we prepare our house for the coming Christmas season, we would also prepare our hearts for the returning Christ. You came once for your people, O Lord, and you will come for us again. Don't be afraid of silence. Silence is an important part of prayer sometimes. Though there was no room for you at the inn to receive you upon your first arrival, we would prepare you room here in our hearts and here in our home, Lord Christ. As we decorate and celebrate, we do so to mark the memory of your redemptive movement into our broken world, O oh God. Our glittering ornaments and Christmas trees, our festive carols, our sumptuous feasts, by these small tokens we affirm that something amazing has happened in time and space. That God, on a particular night, in a particular place so many years ago, was born to us, an infant king, our prince of peace. Our wreaths and ribbons and colored lights, our giving of gifts, our parties with friends, these have never been ends in themselves. They are but small ways in which we repeat that sounding joy first proclaimed by the angels in the skies near Bethlehem. In view of such great tidings of love announced to us and to all people, how can we not be moved to praise and celebration in this Christmas season? 
as we decorate our tree and as we feast and laugh and sing together, we are rehearsing our coming joy. We are making ready to receive the one who has already with open arms received us. We would prepare you room here in our hearts and here in our home, Lord Christ. Now we celebrate your first coming, Emmanuel, even as we long for your return. O Prince of Peace, our Savior King, return soon. We miss you so. Thank you for praying with me. I didn't mean for that to happen. Um, as we prepare to close, I just want to remind you of a couple of things happening this week. First, on Tuesday, we're joining with our, our sister church, our church plant in East Columbus, Hope Springs, to serve uh, the staff and uh, the, the wonderful people at Wesley Heights Elementary. Um, if you're available at lunchtime on a Tuesday during Christmas week, we'd love to have you there to help. Um, you can sign up online. Just check out our website. Also, I want to extend an invitation for you to join our Christmas Eve services here at the church. Uh, you can join in person or online at 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock on this coming Thursday evening, Christmas Eve. And now if you would please stand with me, and if you would allow me to pronounce these words of blessing over you before we depart. May the Lord bless you and be with you this Christmas week. May the gifts and the foods and the lights and the songs raise up your hearts and thoughts to him who is God with us, Jesus, the Savior to all who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>